Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. When London Breed became the mayor of San Francisco nearly five years ago, the city was in a very different place. Tech money was supercharging home prices, commercial real estate, the job market, and the city budget. Well, then came the pandemic, the deepening of the fentanyl crisis, and the inflation that's caused the Fed to raise rates, pulling easy money out of the tech ecosystem. One of the most successful, innovative, beautiful cities in the world, seems like it's on the ropes, riven by inbred politics and a collapse of downtown visitors. What's Mayor Breed going to do? What can she do? She joins us here in the studio and we'll all get a chance to ask her after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. All right, everyone. We are joined live in the studio here by Mayor London Breed. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. So we obviously have some things to talk about, and we know lots of your constituents are listening. And we want to hear from all of you. What are your questions for the mayor of San Francisco, from your mayor? Give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED forum. So San Francisco, been targeted by Fox News, Donald Trump, you know, recently CNN took a shot and New York Magazine, recent piece spiraling in San Francisco's doom loop, which actually asks, what's it like to live in a city that no longer believes its problems can be fixed? feels like our field tends to focus on dysfunction. So I kind of want to start with the reverse. Can you give us just two specific examples of programs the city is running that you feel like are working well? 
Well, programs that we're running that I know are working well includes our huge portfolio of housing for formerly homeless people. Before, when I started as mayor, we had about 10,000 units. Now we're at 15,000 units. So what's working is our investments, helping to turn people's lives around. But unfortunately, when people see the conditions of the streets, they think, well, the city isn't doing enough. And recently, we made an arrest of about 25 people for public intoxication. And in fact, nine of those people were had warrants and only one of those persons had an address where they said they lived in San Francisco. Mm. So we're dealing with a problem where so many people are also coming into our city. We're solving for the folks we have here. Um, I'm really proud of the work that we're doing to help with wraparound supportive services. And it's been amazing. The other thing that I think that we're doing well includes the work that we're doing to restructure our governmental systems to help us speed up the production of housing. And so it's all technical stuff. I mean, just no, let's hear a little bit of it, though. I want to hear it's technical, boring stuff. But like, for example, when we talk about our downtown economic recovery, we uh, talk about let's build housing in some of these places. But the same requirements for like an empty lot exists for a place where, you know, you can't build a backyard in a downtown high rise. Mm. So waiving simple requirements and not allowing those to get in the way of moving as aggressively as possible with housing is is really important. And the housing element, which requires us under the state law to build 82,000 units in the next eight years, Mm -hmm. we have to go hard, we have to be ambitious. And it seems to be, uh, we seem to be headed in that direction. And my hope is that things start to turn around so we can get more housing built in San Francisco. So policy changes are starting to happen. We're starting to see a new day. And my hope is that we realize how incredible it is or how challenging it is to make those changes, but we need them to get things done. Because I've heard you say that, right, there's 50,000 housing units that have been entitled in some way, right, or somewhere in this pipeline. And it's just a matter of actually getting them built, right? Yeah. Well, Park Merced, I wasn't even on the board of supervisors when Park Merced was approved, and it hasn't even started. We have 8,000 units that we plan to build on Treasure Island, and we just opened a building of over 100 units for people who were formerly homeless who are veterans. Like, we have a lot of opportunities to build and to be aggressive. I mean, look at what we did with Mission Bay and how transformative that was when we got the work done. Created a whole new neighborhood. Pier 70 and the dog patch. That's the hottest new neighborhood in the country, voted number one in terms of a a new destination, a new up and coming neighborhood. So we have so much potential, but we got to get out of our own way. Yeah. You know, you recently unveiled $14.6 billion budget. Obviously, you know, if you want to hear about why that budget is so big and the different pieces of it, we did a whole show on it. You can search for that. And they're obviously these budgets are filled with details. Um, I actually want to hear kind of the strategy that you're trying to execute with this budget. Like, how are your priorities reflected in this document? So the priorities of San Franciscans and, and, and what I reflected in my budget is the number one is safety. So there are significant investments in safety, which include police, ambassadors, um, alternatives, our reforms. Like there are significant investments there. Um, Also homelessness and street conditions. So we have investments in creating more beds for people who we know are homeless now. Um, So we're making some investments to 
add more shelter, add more housing vouchers, add more wraparound supportive housing. And we also are focused on clean streets and some investments there. So um, the other thing is our downtown economic recovery with uh, tax delays for Mm -hmm. uh, businesses that we know are struggling with tax incentives for people who want to do business, including new startups in San Francisco. Uh, We plan to completely reform our tax structure because from the business community, that's what we heard was one of the biggest complaints, the economic uncertainty of San Francisco. We put over 14 initiatives on the ballot for new taxes since 2018. And most of those tax initiatives are in place. And they are creating not just a real problem for business, but especially a real problem for retail and for small businesses. And so we need to make some reforms, make some changes to our tax structures. So a lot of that is 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 the focus of my budget. Yeah. I mean, one of the key budget moves is, you know, seeking to shift some funding from longer-term permanent housing to more temporary shelter. Why is that shift necessary, do you think? Well, it's not, that's not entirely, I mean, it's it's, it's accurate, but let's be clear. So some of the long-term housing that we had planned specifically for transitional age youth and families, we were able to get resources through Project Home Key, through a state program. Mm -hmm. So it's really, uh, those, we don't have other identified projects that would meet the requirements for that money. So the goal is to shift it towards what the needs are. And so that includes housing. It includes shelter because we need to immediately get people into a place Mm -hmm. to help decide where they belong, where I mean, they may have a drug problem. They may need some other services. They may be disabled. So we have to do the first analysis before we decide what's the next step for them. And we have to prevent people from becoming homeless in the first place. And that's where the vouchers come in to help protect people who are existing residents. I mean, we've heard kind of similar things from Mayor Mahan down in San Jose, basically saying we need to get people off the street into some form of shelter. Like that is the the number one priority. And building permanent housing, as we've seen, takes a really long time. Do you see that as your approach, like in a, in a similar vein that like we need to just move people indoors? Well, I think it's more move people indoors and then definitely try and connect them to the appropriate place that makes the most sense. Because we have behavioral health beds, we have shelter beds, we have supportive housing beds, we have a lot of different kinds of beds. And 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 the thing is, we also have, you know, places that are all over San Francisco. We don't necessarily have, you know, enough places to immediately move everyone off the streets. But the other thing is, when we go into an encampment, or when we reach out to a particular individual, we do so with a place for them to go. And I think this gets back to the challenges we're having when people refuse service. Of those 25 people arrested, when some of them were released and were offered services, not one of them agreed to the services we were offering. And I think that gets to the heart of the biggest problem we're having. People are struggling with addiction differently than they have in the past. We provide compassion. We are providing wellness hubs in my budget to help uh, those people who are struggling. But ultimately, when we have people who cross a particular line and commit a crime, not new laws, but things that are on the books, then the ability for us to basically say, look, you 
either go to this alternative program or we're going to have to move forward with charges necessary to ensure that you are held accountable in some way. We're willing to put you in a program as a way uh, to help you get treatment and get support and use that as a way for you to be held accountable. But we can't just allow what's been happening to continue to happen. So your budget, to your budget, and it makes use of a lot of kind of one-time funds to plug this kind of nominal $780 million uh, hole. And we're starting to hear, you know, about owners walking away from from downtown buildings that may lead to a decrease in uh, downtown commercial property values, which could lead to a decrease in um, property taxes. How are you taking into account the possibilities that we might actually get even less revenue in further down the line? Oh, that is definitely at the top of my mind. And let's be clear, you know, the hotel will still be open. It's still operating. Um, You know, we have uh, had conversations with Westfield, um, you know, malls everywhere because of online shopping and other things have been suffering. I mean, inventory at places like Nordstrom's were considerably low. Staffing was a challenge in the hospitality industry. It dropped 15 percent. Um, as a result of the pandemic. And staffing has been a challenging uh, issue across the board. So we know there are other issues besides what you're hearing in terms of safety. And, and, and look, people are working from home, so things are different. And I think what we are trying to do as a city through my economic recovery plan is, of course, provide incentives and support and to try to keep people afloat. But we can't do that for every business. And so part of what we're trying to do with the new startups is uh, tax waivers. Uh, First Year Free is a great program where in the neighborhoods in particular, we've been able to open a lot of brick and mortar businesses. But ultimately, we have to change what downtown is. And when Mm -hmm. I say change, it's not just about it can't just be about retail and it can't just be about uh, office space for information technology, the financial district accountants. It has to think about about the fact that we have a 27% vacancy rate for office space, but for our life sciences and that industry, which is a significantly growing industry, mm-hmm. it's at less than 5%. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? It means opportunity. Westfield does not have to be a mall. Westfield can become a place where we can use it as lab space. It can be reinvented, recreated. Mm-hmm. University of California, San Francisco or Stanford or UC Berkeley, universities where they have students that are, you know, basically buildings that are busting out at the seams could use space like this to create another opportunity that would drive foot traffic. It could potentially uh, provide opportunities for restaurants as well as retail and and would be a mixed use space. So we have to start thinking more creatively about the use of our spaces in downtown like never before. We're talking with San Francisco Mayor London Breed. We're going to get to some more of your questions after the break. We've got comments coming in. Really quick question for you, Mayor Breed. Salesforce Tower or Sutro Tower? Salesforce Tower. (laughs) There's a right answer. Sutro Tower is over your right shoulder. That's my answer. I'm going to go with Salesforce. We're going to be back with more with Mayor London Breed right after the break. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with San Francisco Mayor London Breed. Let's bring in our first caller. Let's bring in Anne in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, this is Anne Gallagher from San Francisco. Hey, Anne, go on. You're, you're on with the mayor. Okay, hello, Mayor Breed. I am. Um, I, I'm. I'm very um, interested in why the city is choosing to go ahead with closing the Pier 94 Site F out in the Bayview that currently houses uh, up to 100 people in their own trailers, and they have on-site medical and psychiatric care, free laundry, two hot meals a day, and their own, more importantly, even the sense of community and their own space. And I don't understand why the city would even consider closing it. And I know the answer, the port wants to use it for maritime use, but we know that that's not true. It never was maritime use before this. Hey, Anne, thank you for that question. Go ahead, Mary Breed. Thank you, Anne, for the question. And the, the, the problem is the port is governed by certain laws around um, BCDC, which is basically saying it has to return to maritime use under the law. During the pandemic, they allowed us this exception to use this space. And in fact, they agreed to allow us until we can at least find a place for every person that is located in the trailer on this site. Um, they allowed us to continue to use the space. It's it's definitely been frustrating for us. It's not just about the port. It's about the state laws that govern uh, port property and maritime use. But the fact is, you know, no one is going to be completely displaced. Um, there have been some people who have been offered a housing opportunity, uh, and we'll continue to work with the provider to ensure um, that we are able to provide the appropriate space for the folks that are there. Of the 120 trailers, I think we've identified a location for at least half of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the meantime, the goal is to try and keep them intact as much as we possibly can for as long as we can until we're forced out. And I think, you know, the challenge here is it's not completely within our control. Yeah, I mean, the BCDC, which is the Bay Area Conservation and Development Commission, I believe, right? It is a state agency and it controls the things that are within the sort of maritime envelope of of the Bay. And there's been lots of issues with BCDC over... uh, on the, the Oakland side as well. Um, I want to take us to talk about police and, and public safety. Um, we made this little chart. You've got one. You've got one in front of you. This is using the Department of Justice, San Francisco County um, data for both violent crimes and property crimes. I'll just tell listeners what, we're, what we can see. I mean, the trend is not since you, you know, were uh, first on the Board of Supervisors in 2013. The trend is like vaguely down, I would say. And yet, 
we know those crimes are real. We know that things are happening in the city. We see it. We see videos of it. We see other things. How do you approach public safety, given how much both national and local media attention, social media attention, anger, real feelings, actual crimes? Like, what? How do you how do you deal with this situation that is more than just the crimes, but is also a lot of the stories and coverage of these as well? Well, I, I think, you know, it's challenging because it's not just social media. It's also um, the media, too. And I was watching the news the other night and story after story after story was about a robbery or something. And, and what's interesting is it was all about the negative stuff. And that day I went to seven events in San Francisco um, in the Bayview Gumbo Social opened. Um, there was a suicide prevention event that was filled with happiness and resources. There was Kung Fu Day in San Francisco in Chinatown. There was grilling in the Mo at Kimball Park. There was a block party at Balboa. Like there were all the with bands and music and residents and people and excitement and the Union Street Fair and the Italian Heritage Club held an event in North Beach. And, and I saw that one on the news. But <laughs> the fact is there were all these incredible things, but the news is talking about a lot of the really negative things that are going on, the things that get put on social media and how people communicate. It's all about a lot of those things. So I think the challenge is, you know, the the, the frustration I have, of course, is the inability to, like, not only control that, but to talk about and view and put out all these great things that are also happening to counter some of those stories. Yeah, we know those stories are real. Mm -hmm. We know crime exists. We know the perception is also uh, very much problematic in how people feel, even mm -hmm. if they're not a victim. But for those who are, it is very difficult. It is very frustrating and people want to see change. It's why I've been working so hard to address it specifically in the areas that it, it, it is most problematic, including the Tenderloin and the mm -hmm. South of Market areas of San Francisco. So I think that, you know, we have to continue to make some significant changes. We have to highlight and promote and push for those stories that we know um, show San Francisco in a good light. And it, and it requires all of us as San Franciscans to also push back on that narrative, to share our experiences, you know, not just the bad experiences, but what about the good ones? What about the great ones that make San Francisco, um, you know, the kind of place that people want to come see? How are we going to start changing that narrative? And that has been an uphill battle. And I know there are a lot of um, residents and businesses who are working on um, doing some things around that and really talking yeah. about it differently than what has been happening in the past. Do you feel like there's also, it's a question of kind of the street conditions versus like actual crime, just like wild stuff happening on the streets that people see. Or, you know, we have, a, for example, um, we have a listener who writes in, I'm a 73-year-old woman. I live in rent in Cow Hollow. Most of my friends my age no longer go out at night. I'm afraid as the streets are empty and crime exists here in Cow Hollow, I don't feel safe. As I type this message, a man is screaming outside, call, causing all the dogs to bark. I won't be leaving San Francisco, but I'm taking longer vacations away from it. You know, like in that kind of circumstance, there's not a crime to scream outside, um, <laughs> most of the time at least. Um, and yet, like, it contributes to this feeling that things aren't safe. So I want to talk about one of your kind of signature initiatives to try and address not just crime, but that kind of street stuff. And that's urban alchemy. You've mentioned mm -hmm. it a couple times. You put funding behind it. Do you think that program is working to help in the Tenderloin? And how do we know? Well, I think it's working because um, here's the thing. It's not the only thing. 
um, we have to change our state laws around people who struggle with mental illness. I believe that we need to be able to force people into treatment. Um, It's very controversial, as you know. I mean, someone screaming is not against the law, but the question is, what is going on with that person and what can we do to help them? We don't know what their situation is. There's an assumption probably made that they're homeless. They may or may not be homeless. They may or may not be getting help. It's very complicated, I know, but the fact is this city, this state, and this country has not addressed the challenges of mental illness illness in an effective way, especially coming out of a global pandemic where we know so many people are suffering. Um, But at the end of the day, um, I think that it's important that we continue to push for the kinds of policies that are going to help us have an answer to that. That The answer to that is not a police response. The answer to that is someone like a person from Urban Alchemy. Over 90 percent of the folks uh, who work for Urban Alchemy have had some issue around criminally justice involved, mm-hmm. maybe a drug issue, issues around homelessness and, and challenges. And they approach people like that differently. And it creates an opportunity to open up dialogue, to begin a conversation, and to figure out what is it that that person needs and how can we get them help. They've administered Narcan to people to Mm -hmm. save lives. They help transition people into programs, working with our street crisis response team. Uh, They've been able to be like some of these people now, once they engage with Urban Alchemy, they start to recognize the people and then they come looking for them. You know, when they want somebody to talk to or they want somebody to help. Or, for example, if they're in front of a school or in front of a place where they're laid out and high, you know, the guys from or girls from Urban Alchemy will say, hey, can can I get you to move over here? Can we talk a little bit? Can we talk about what we can do? So it's they invest a lot of time into having conversations with people who oftentimes are, you know, the, the first encounter they have with any official usually is the law. And we want to change that. Yeah. We want to change it to make sure that a human touch is made and the real opportunity to transition someone into support is, is happens. So given that so much of what's important about what you're saying that Urban Alchemy is doing is about that kind of qualitative, you know, person to person kind of contact. How can you as the mayor or the city as you know, an organization that's managing not just Urban Alchemy, but dozens of these homelessness services providers, how can you evaluate if what they're doing is effective? Like, you know, beyond just knowing that in some individual people are being helped by some other individual people, like are there metrics you're able to to pull from that? Are there audits that can be done? Like, yes. how do you know it's working? Yeah. Well, some of the audits that get done focus on the money, right? And not necessarily the measurable outcomes. If you are a provider and you have 20 beds, um, you know, like the, the data is easy to obtain to understand whether or not those beds are filled. But the questions we have to start getting into is, are they filled with the same people? Are they effective? Do they transition into something permanent? Are they getting treatment? And I think those are the kinds of complicated matrix that we have to start to introduce into the equation, not just are you spending the money right, but are you delivering the results? I helped 20,000 people this year. Okay, what happened to those 20,000 people? We need to be able to tell a story of the effectiveness of the program. And I think, you know, for example, with domestic violence providers and the office, uh, the uh, Commission on the Status of Women, they have already started to do just that Mm -hmm. because we had programs where domestic violence victims were getting into the programs, but they weren't doing an effective job of transitioning, you know, some of those women into something more permanent. Mm -hmm. And so getting into the nuts and bolts, it's it's not as though they're not helping anyone. But the 
question is, are they doing what they're supposed to be doing as a temporary location and then helping someone exit into something more permanent? So introducing those matrix, putting them at the table and really not just about accountability, but also helping the organizations with the 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 kinds of resources that provides the layers necessary to get people into a more permanent situation. I think there's a lot of disconnect with organizations and the city and how we work together because people kind of right. work in their own. This is my program. This is my program funding for my program. But it's like, no, we need to share. We we should be in the business of putting ourselves out of business in this community. We should not even want to have to exist because we've been able to help everyone. And that's where we got to get to. Let's uh, bring in uh, Leah in San Francisco. Welcome, Leah. Hi, thank you for having me. And thank you, Mayor Breed. Um, my question relates to uh, kind of retail vacancy and just the general health of small businesses in the city. Um, I know that the city is working on relieving um, burdens to opening new businesses, but many of the businesses that are here and trying to stay alive are really um, struggling. And I know in kind of my circle of, of entrepreneurs that I you know, know mm-hmm. and work with, a lot of us have seen that particularly the costs of just dealing with the city and state agencies, that cost bur- burden has ballooned in the past three to five years. Uh, so my question is, is there anything um, in the works to help and relieve um, the cash crisis with existing small businesses in the city, not new small businesses that may open? Hey, thank you, Leah. Appreciate that question. Thank you for your question, Leah, because I just mentioned this earlier in terms of all the the 14 taxes um, that have added a lot of pressure to businesses in San Francisco. Um, without going to the voters, I can't change that. But what we have been able to do is put in uh, to this budget a number of delays in terms of taxes for um, businesses in general in San Francisco. Um, I think Leah referenced new businesses. First year free has been remarkable, and it's created um, a lot of support for the neighborhoods to deal with some of the vacancies. Uh, we have invest in neighborhood programs where we provide a kind of bridge gr- grants for businesses that are struggling. Um, please feel free to reach off, reach out to the Office of Economic and Workforce Development um, because if people come to us early on, the goal is to get them resources to help get them over the hump initially. Um, I, I have plans to reform our tax structure and working with the small business community and others. Um, there's a council of district merchants. There's a number of merchants associations. Uh, they're providing input so we can go to the ballot to make some changes to our tax structure because I don't uh, disagree with Leah. We have done a disservice in this city to small businesses by taking so many tax initiatives to the ballot. And then it, it I mean, even the state um, requires each of the various items in a small business gets taxed like they have to itemize those things and pay tax. I mean, it is unbelievable how difficult and how we are micromanaging and how we're squeezing every dollar out of small businesses. And then we celebrate our small businesses. We Mm -hmm. talk about how they're the backbone of our city and our economy, but yet we're gouging them. And so my goal is to try and make some significant changes because we want our small businesses to succeed. Um, it's not going to happen right away, but please, if you are interested in our programs and what we have to offer, please reach out to the Office of Economic and Workforce but Development. But can you cut taxes at a time when you may be losing 
tax revenue through no fault of your own through like the but the... but here's the thing it's not about cutting taxes it's about being responsible in what we're charging people so for example um, if we're going to charge if the, you know looking at what the state taxes are for small businesses looking at what we're charging for the city because and and then also like even with the payroll taxes and other things it makes it difficult for small businesses then they have to pay for a payroll system then they have to deal with the taxes differently with the city and I think part of it is making sure the the big businesses are paying their fair share, right, based on, you know, what they're able to generate and, and, and really cutting down on like a small bagel shop. It's the only bagel shop that exists and, and, and really cutting down, cutting back on what they actually have to pay. I think it's really about a balance of fairness when it relates to business in San Francisco. Retail should not, retail is struggling. Retail is in a different boat. Retail's overhead is a lot different. So what retail as a whole, that sector should be paying in comparison to, you know, financial institutions that generate billions of dollars versus, you know, not even close to a million in some instance. So it's about balance and fairness and and chipping away at the things that make small businesses suffer in San Francisco. Yeah. Another thing to cover before we get to the break, I mean, the, your budget also reduces some funds for tenants' rights groups that re- went through the Department of Building Inspection programs. And it was about $5 million. There's been some articles with the group saying that they need that money to help tenants deal with abusive landlords. Um, why that particular cut seems kind of like small potatoes in in the scheme of uh, the the budget. Well, I think the Department of Building Inspection is is struggling, um, and they have to raise rates, and we have to do uh, what's necessary to to make adjustments. And they uh, propose uh, those particular cuts. But to be clear, San Francisco has a program. Um, that allows for attorneys for tenants um, in order to help support whatever their challenges are. Um, so um, that's a program that continues to be funded. There's also a number of um, resources. I, I mentioned to you uh, a few mm-hmm. of those resources to provide um, rent relief and and support and services. So um, there are definitely a lot of programs that support tenants in San Francisco that exist now. Um, Various organizations that we're talking about are organizations that get a lot of money from the city already. They work with a lot of tenants. They have a lot of resources. They have a lot of wraparound programs. Uh, So at the end of the day, we're going to continue to try and work with those organizations Mm -hmm. to really figure out, you know, where the deficiencies might be and determine whether or not those other resources can play a role in helping them continue to continue to do their work. Here's your fun question. Golden Gate... Park bison or Telegraph Hill parrots, and this time you can tell us why. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's a hard one. I haven't seen the bisons in a really long time. <laughs> I saw them. I saw them a few weeks ago. They look good. I, I saw them good. when I went out to outside lands. Uh, they were looking good. So I'm going to say the Golden Gate Park bison. All right, we are talking with Mayor London Breed, putting your questions to her, putting our questions from our team here at KQED Newsroom. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. If you can't get through that way, try our email address. It's forum at kqed.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal, here with Mary London Breed. Stay tuned for more right after the break.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're joined here in Studio B by San Francisco Mayor London Breed. You know, clearly there are and should be sort of competing ideas of what's going on in San Francisco, given both our enormous economic success and our deep problems. And I think everyone understands kind of the more conservative take. It's this kind of Nixonian approach that the city got soft on people and now anarchy's run amok and the social contract's been destroyed from the bottom, need law and order. I think what I don't quite understand is why Democrats like yourself and other people across the city haven't pushed kind of a plausible alternative that perhaps the core problems of the city are actually around inequality, which shows up on many different levels and which has corroded the social contract from above. So for you, I'm wondering how big of a problem do you think inequality is for San Francisco, not just poverty per se, but inequality? And what could you as mayor, if you do think it's a problem, what could you do about it? So inequality, I think, you know, has been and will continue, sadly, to be a problem. Um, I think that there is a confusion around what's happening as it relates to the challenges in San Francisco as to, oh, we're going from one extreme to a next and back to the war on drugs and so on and so forth. Um, San Francisco doesn't have the African-American population it used to, but the fact is, disproportionately, African-Americans are the ones who are dying in larger rates um, to overdoses in San Francisco uh, than uh, other races. And uh, what we're seeing is, you know, African-Americans are not the ones out here selling and distributing um, the fentanyl and the various opioids opioids that are, are killing African-Americans. And so I think there's, you know, a lot of frustration and confusion. And part of what's different, I think, that that is not kind of getting across to people is it's not as though it's arrest everyone and don't provide an alternative. It's, you know, using that lever to say, what can we do to help you? What can we do to get you into a program or job? I mean, San Francisco banned the box. So if you committed a crime, you did your time, we will hire you to work for the city and county of San Francisco, whether that's Muni or, you know, most jobs that exist. We have almost 5,000 vacancies. So we're willing to give people a second chance. We have some incredible programs that could help people. And the fact is, that is what we are trying to do with, you know, using uh, before this didn't happen. You know, all you had was maybe Walden House or Delancey Street, which they still exist. Walden House is now Health Right 360. Mm-hmm. But now you have, you know, like we have to get back to here are some alternatives rather than having you in jail. But 
getting you treatment, getting you help, getting you on the right path. And I know it doesn't work for everybody because, you know, substance use disorder is a very challenging thing to deal with for most people. And let's add mental health into that equation and it becomes even more complex. So I know it's not as easy as just law enforcement. And that's why we have the very the street crisis response team out there. That's why we have urban alchemy. That's why we have alternatives to the police response. But at the end of the day, when people don't accept the services and what we're providing, it's important for the city to take some level of action. And so there's a balance that we have to strike there. And, you know, when you look at the data and you look at race and you look at all those things, those do play a role into what's happening right here on the streets. And and it's sad and it's unfortunate, but it doesn't mean that we just let things happen um, because, you know, inequality is very much problematic. I mean, Inequality is something that has existed, will continue to exist. Everyone says they want to see things change. Um, but unfortunately, when you propose change, like I did with the Dreamkeeper Initiative, mm. where we are investing, even though we don't have a large African-American population in San Francisco, but we are investing $60 million into the African-American community annually, new businesses, down payment, homeowner assistance, a number of programs and resources that have changed people's lives. Um, you know, you get the pushback. And, and Yeah, and, we actually have a clip of you talking about this program. Let's, let's hear this. This is from um, 2020. And this is about shifting um, some money from the police budget to tackle racial disparities in the wake of George Floyd's murder. With this budget, we are listening to the community and prioritizing investments in the African-American community around housing, mental health and wellness, workforce development, economic justice, education, advocacy and accountability. As a first step in this effort, we will redirect $120 million from law enforcement to support these priorities over the next two years. Let me repeat that. This is $120 million. It's a first step. And, and I would say I appreciate you bringing that up because we did that initially. Mm-hmm. And the fact is we continued it. We didn't just stop it. We are investing that money still in the community. And we are seeing like Third and Newcomb, which is was a notorious block when I was growing up in the Bayview Hunters Point community. They went from an over 50 percent vacancy rate to a less than 10 percent vacancy rate. There's a workout studio. Uh, my friend who used to sell clothes in the parking lot of Safeway out of his car has a brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. There's a place that makes T-shirts. There's food. There's a lot of there's a, a hair shop. There's a nail. Th- these are people who actually are from San Francisco, black people who have opened their businesses because we help make investments for their businesses to be open. I met 12 of the new homeowners in San Francisco, mostly people who were able to afford to buy a home in the Bayview Hunters Point community, and some of them who work for the city and county of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of programs are uh, getting people employed. Some of the things that we've been able to do and the investments we have been able to make have had a tremendous impact. And we haven't just stopped the investment because we're not diverting the resources from law enforcement. We're continuing that and we're still investing in law enforcement because we know in a growing city there is a need to have more officers. And what I say to the community, because people from the community always say we want police officers who speak our language. We want police officers from our community. Well, I 
say to people in San Francisco, we have openings. Join us. Help us. Be a part of the solution. Be a part of the change that's necessary for reforms in the department. We can have both justice and fairness while maintaining public safety and accountability. We can have it if we're willing to work for it and we all are willing to be a part of the solution. Let's uh, bring in some more calls. We want to get some more of your constituents' questions here. Joe in San Francisco, welcome. Hey, uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, Mayor Breed, you've been a proponent of more housing production overall and more affordable housing production uh, as well. And frankly, your political colleagues on the Board of Supervisors have not been. Uh, You tried twice to pass a streamlining bill and then put it on the ballot uh, through voter signatures last year in Prop D, and then they put on a sort of fake version of Prop E, and that kind of torpedoed the effort. Uh, How can you continue to push forward sensible housing production policies when you have frankly, political opponents who are just not living in reality in the most expensive city in the country. Well, thank you for your question. And I appreciate that because here's the good news, even though the ballot initiative did not pass, the state is requiring under the housing element for the city and county of San Francisco to produce 82,000 units in the next eight years. They're requiring that in the process, we make significant changes to our housing policies. And what could potentially happen as a result, just like the density bonus, They don't have to go through us to get approval to do the density bonus right now. They can add increased density without state approval to do their projects. So what this means to me is no more obstruction. We're going to have to aggressively change our housing policies in San Francisco to at least Even if we at least got all of the units that we have approved already built, what a difference that would make if we were able to dump 50,000 new units into the portfolio of housing in San Francisco. What a difference that would make for our city. And so I'm being aggressive in proposing those changes. I think the public is starting to see um, that there is a lot of obstruction uh, around housing. We have new movements like the Yimby movement and others, this new generation of young people who are saying, you know what, where are we going to live? You know, I, I remember when I campaigned for mayor, uh, I was the only one that supported Scott Weiner's bill SBA 27. Um, and I was on the West Side and people were like, no, we oppose that. We don't like it. All the other candidates were we support it. And I said, you know what? No, I mean, the other candidates said, no, we don't support it. And everyone, you know, booed me because I said I did. And I said, well, how many of you were born and raised in this city or here for more than 50 years? All the hands go up. How many of you raise your kids here? I raise my kids here. All the hands go up. How many of your kids still live here? And hardly any hands went up. And that is telling We can't just keep thinking about what makes us happy about our neighborhood. We have to start thinking about what happens to future generations of young people growing up in this city that has become increasingly unaffordable. And I think that the shift is happening where people are pushing aggressively for change. Mm -hmm. And so I am pushing aggressively in my policies for change. I hope that people will join me in this effort. I can't control what the Board of Supervisors does. I do think we have more members on the board who really support support some of these efforts and have joined me in pushing for these policies. But we definitely need a change on the board to get us through and get more housing built in San Francisco now. Let's bring in Elizabeth in San Francisco. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth, I hear you've got a question about encampments. Go ahead. I do. Mayor Breed, good morning. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on this radio broadcast. The uh, You initiated a 
Second Street as a beautiful street, and yet there are encampments that are allowed to continue. The Giants fans go through this once or twice and don't come back. Why are some streets getting cleared and not others? People in tents are offered space and they refuse. It's a drug use area. Also, the number of people that are coming from out of the city and out of the state all over the country to benefit from these services means that our need is unlimited. I'm really frustrated, and I welcome your thoughts. Elizabeth, thanks for, thanks for that. Thanks for uh, giving the mayor an opportunity. I think this is a question that many people in the city have. Why is this still in camp? Why is this encampment still on X Street? Well, first of all, Elizabeth, I would strongly um, suggest that you call 311 um, uh, to report that so we can know exactly the location. Second of all, um, we are doing everything we can uh, with a team of people that include a Department of Public Works, a clinician. Um, there's a there's a whole group of people. They go out. I mean, you don't see the large encampments like you used to before the pandemic and during the pandemic because we have been able to shift and get people into housing. Um, but this continues to be a struggle. It's very complicated. We are still out there um, having conversations, trying to get people to take our services, cleaning and clearing out the streets. Um, a judge, unfortunately, issued an injunction to stop us from removing um, tents unless we specifically have shelter beds. Right? Well, for every single person on the streets and it's confusing. And so our our um, city attorney, uh, David Chu, is appealing that decision um, because it has definitely been very problematic to um, try and uh, move people. Um, we're following the laws. We are um, using our resources to try and get them to move. But the, the challenge we have is when they don't accept services, they move for us to clean. Sometimes they'll come right back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that continues to be a struggle for us. But we're doing everything we can to use the existing laws in order to clean our streets, get people to move. Um, but we also need the, the public to help us with making phone calls and also telling your supervisors, um, you know, we want support from the board. And then finally, recently, I don't know if people know this, but there were, you know, like the when we were moving and clearing out these encampments, um, you know, the Homeless Coalition helped uh, homeless people to they've documented it and they kind of piece things together and, and have used it to file complaints against the city. And individual homeless people have been issued like $10,000 settlements um, as a result of what they claim us taking their stuff. And we have a system. We're following the law. We're doing the bag and tag. We're talking to people and saying, do you want this? How do we help you put this together? If you see any of these removals, this is what people are doing. And and it's, it's very complicated. It's very frustrating and challenging, but we're not walking away from it. We're continuing to do our best to provide people with services and use the laws in order to get people moved off of these areas. And I strongly suggest that members of the public call 311 to help us do it. So what do you do for people who are hearing these problems in our city? They're hearing, you know, the, our, what the city's doing. They might even appreciate what it is that you're doing or, or oppose it, but feel like this, these things are not going to be solved, that there aren't solutions that are at the scale of the problems that they're seeing in the streets. Well, I will tell you that I don't I think that, you know, the solutions are possible. But I'll, I'll give you an example. People, especially in the Tenderloin, said that we want more law enforcement. We want to change. But as soon as we started arresting people, 
who are drug users, well, we don't want drug users arrested. We don't want them to be. Why aren't you focused on the drug dealers? We are. We focus on everybody. So you can't have it both ways. It's like either you want to let us do what we need to do to be aggressive and to handle this, or you want to micromanage how we do it. Um, And the fact is, we have to be more aggressive. We have to make sure that we are cleaning and, and clearing out the streets and not allowing the behavior that everyone is frustrated over. And I will tell you, you know, uh, immigrant families and business owners, uh, community folks who grew up in San Francisco, all these people live in the tenderloin with kids, with elderly people. They are frustrated. They are sick and tired. And we have to continue to move in this direction. But we have to be more aggressive. It can't be incremental. And it's been incremental mostly because all of a sudden we have someone suing us or challenging us or a judge stopping us. And then we have to add an additional layer of responsibility to document. So Clearing out the encampments takes a lot of time because for that one encampment, we have to go through a lengthy process now to ensure that when we are at court, we have the documentation necessary to do what we have to do to clean up and clear out the streets. I have to read you this comment only because I think this may be the first time we've gotten a comment like this, and at least since I started hosting the show. Patrick writes, just wanted to mention I've started going to the financial district for work again, and it's about as clean and nice as I've ever seen. Oh, nice Lord walking Jesus. around, grabbing coffee, <laughs> eating outside. Something must be working. Um, Patrick, uh, There, that's a first. All right. Um, I, last thing, last thing. Mm-hmm. Can I say I love you, Patrick? (laughs) Mayors in San Francisco, I think, start to think about their legacy, particularly if they've been, you know, in office for for a big chunk of time like you have. I mean, what do you want your legacy to be when people think about, you know, the breed, the breed years of this city? Well, I I think that people have seen what I'm capable of when given the opportunity. During the pandemic, I had the emergency authority to make hard decisions, working with experts to shut the city down, to implement the kinds of uh, programs and resources we need to set up testing sites, to set up vaccination sites to help and deal with equity in, in communities that typically would not be served right away. So I have proven as a leader without the burden of bureaucracy what I am capable of. And so I hope that when people look back on my legacy, that they know that I am a strong executive willing to make the hard decisions and willing to always stand up for San Francisco. But I also want people to see the difference in terms of the numbers and what I've been able to do with housing, what I've been able to do to help formerly homeless people off the streets and to help people into treatment and to help turn San Francisco around. Uh, Mission Bay and what's happening there, uh, what's happening at Pier 70 and all the new technology companies, not just information technology, but how San Francisco um the 20 top artificial intelligent companies in the U.S., 16 are in the Bay Area and 11 are San Francisco. So San Francisco is changing the world. We are still a destination. And I want to be remembered for making sure I am reminding people what we are and we're transforming the world. And we're seeing all of that happen right here in San Francisco because of what we've been able to do to get out of our way with layers of bureaucracy to make real change that will turn things around in our city for the better. Thank you so much for joining us. San Francisco Mayor London Breed, thank you so much. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with guest host Leslie McClurg.
Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.